Redeemer, if you haven't already, go ahead and uh, open up to Isaiah 51. Uh, we're nearing the end of Isaiah, which means this year. Uh, I have it scheduled out to basically June, through June. So then we're just going to do it again. It's been a good run, right? Yeah. I'm sure we all learned and applied everything in there. We don't need to do it again. Um, I want to do a little introductory work, some essential gospel redeemer stuff. Our mission statement is fight for joy. Our vision is to be a people of invincible joy. So we're going to review some familiar stuff. Why joy? Why make it such an essential thing? It is in the text, by the way, uh, verse 3 at the end, it says this regarding God's people, joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving in the voice of song. So the reason I want to keep revisiting this is because I think it's kind of the whole thing. It's the whole thing. How do you feel about God? Now, in the world, you know, in the non-Christian world, there's this view of God that is certainly not uh, this idea that we should take joy in Him. He's to be feared, hated, ignored, thought ridiculous, whatever. But even in the church, some lies can creep in. Right? I won't name names, but a prominent teacher that I generally respect has been known to say things like this. It doesn't matter how you feel, you're caused to worship God. And I love the guy, but there's a real issue there. And to me is this, that enjoying God is the worship. That is the worship. If he means it doesn't matter how you feel, you can show up and sing. You can raise your hands. You can play instruments. That's true. But that is not what God is asking us. He's not saying, hey, doesn't matter how you feel about me. Just show up, play instruments, mouth words, and begrudgingly hate me and resent me. It's not praise. It's not worship. Worship is joy. Praise of God is the response to delighting in him. This isn't a side issue. This is the whole thing, which is why when I hear a pastor say something like that, I'm, oh, I, 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 it makes me frustrated to put it that way. Joy is the whole thing. We rejoice in things that aren't worth rejoicing in. That's sin. We rejoice in the world. Ultimately, we put our hopes in the world and make God small. God is going to save us from that. How? By revealing to us his goodness and us rejoicing in that. We sing this song, Open Our Eyes, right? And it says, you alone bring salvation, bring us your revelation. And one of the things I want us to understand as a church is those are the same thing. That's, that's the same thing. Salvation isn't just being carried to a safe place where there's no more war and sickness. Salvation is having the blind eyes of the heart open to the glory of Christ. Revelation is salvation. Seeing his goodness, seeing his glory, rejoicing in that. One of my favorite authors, teachers, as you may know, if you've been here a while, C.S. Lewis, he puts it this way. He talks about praise and what it is. He says this, all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. When you enjoy something, you praise it, right? You've been at a meal and someone makes an incredible meal and you eat it. You go, wow, that's praise as a response to the meal. It's enjoyment overflowing into praise, right? 
Here's what he says. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses. Readers, their favorite poet. Walkers praising the countryside. This guy's got a different lifestyle than me, you know. He's like poetry and countryside. (laughs) Okay, players, their favorite game. Praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges. This guy's privileged. Hold on. We need a different list. But you get it, right? Whatever it is. Hot dogs. It's that low culture praise. Have you had a Sam's Club hot dog? Praise. He's, <laughs> listen, he says, uh, he says, children, flowers, mountains, and rare stamps. This, so he didn't get married until he was like 50. That's, this is why. <laughs> he was hanging out with stamps. <laughs> I think we delight, listen to this. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It, right? It completes it. I like, you, I like what I'm seeing in you, God. You're great, yeah? What are you feeling? I'm feeling joy. Fulfill it. Let it out. Shout before the nations. Tell your neighbors. I was talking to someone recently, and they were saying they enjoy my teaching and preaching and this and that. And I said, I do it for me. I'm not here for you, ultimately. I'm here for me. I preach. Woe is me if I don't preach, if I don't have consummation and fulfillment to this joy. If you would like to come along for the ride, great. Let's go. But at essence, what is this? It's fulfillment of joy. The appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. You tell someone, right? And there's a receiving of that. Right? You know that? You see your wife or girlfriend or a crush you have and this joy is in or this pleasure. And once you say it and they receive it, that is the completion of joy. So when we talk about being a people of invincible joy, joy is at the root. It's so essential to the Christian life. We can't understand reality without it. That's not an overstatement. It's the whole thing. In Christ, we're a people of invincible joy. Why? Because that joy is rooted in an invincible God. Here's what we believe, that we are born sinners, blind to the glory of God, and therefore misled and sinning in all different ways. God sees that, and in His mercy, saves us by revealing his son. He sends his son, and at the cross we see God revealed. There is the face of God. There is joy. There is security. There is passion. There is pleasure. There is everything the coastlands have hoped for, right? And he is God invincible, which means no one can take our joy from us. You can take my house. You can take my life. You can take my kids. You can take this nation. You can take all kinds of things, but you cannot touch the Christ. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Invincible. My joy is in him. My joy is invincible. I may not believe it Tuesday morning, but it's true. We are rooted, saved by God, the God who's invincible, ever patient and faithful. He will never Give up, or as the text says, he will not be dismayed. Our, our love fails. Yesterday, I was working on my sermon, and my youngest daughter comes up to me. I've got headphones in, you know, and I'm working, and I see her. She's crying, and I take my headphones out, and I say, well, what's the matter? She says, where's mama? 
to which I respond, what am I, chopped liver? I'm your father. What's the matter? She hit her eye. She sat. I was calling my lap. Now, here's why she was looking for mama. Because about three minutes into this, I was done. (laughs) Can you scamper off? I got to work on a sermon about love. (laughs) This is literally my life. (laughs) But see, God will never tire. That's the difference between him and you and me. So this, what this text is about, this is Old Testament. Some of you think Old Testament's bad news, good te- Old, New Testament's good news. Like God is good news, and he's everywhere in the Old and New Testament. So let's look at this. This is God speaking, right, to Isaiah, or through Isaiah, to Israel. And they're just coming out of exile, right, or about to come out of exile. He's talking to us. He's talking to all his people. Listen to me. This is verse 1, chapter 51. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. So one of the things that you can learn when you study uh, Hebrew writing is that a lot of times when they write a couplet, it means the same thing. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. You know what that means? Those are the same thing. The pursuit of righteousness is not doing good works. Doing good works is part of life and the outflow of worshiping God and Christianity, but it's not, again, what's the essence? What's at the bottom? It's seeking the Lord. Who is that? It is a person who is a delight to encounter. Christianity is not primarily about rules. There are rules. But the pursuit of righteousness is not laws. It is the hot pursuit of a living God who has set his affections on us and will delight us. We seek the Lord. So he's talking to the church. Who are these people? These are the people that he has called, that he has saved, and he has revealed himself to, and they are in pursuit of him. This person. See, preaching like this is dangerous because we're going to get into what it means to like know God and have fellowship in the Spirit. And, and some of us, some of you, maybe have just been raised in Christianity, and it's just about rules, and it's just about a philosophy, and it's just about obedience, But the scriptures reveal that it's about a personal encounter with a person that we find fellowship with and is a delight. And if we don't know that, it can be frightening to us. But I want you to know that God invites you into that. He wants to know you. You don't have the strength to know him, but he has the strength to know you and draw you into that. The pursuit of God is the pursuit of a person who we can encounter and ultimately be changed by, be pleasured by. It is a work of God. It is a face. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 puts it this way. What does it mean to be saved? Again, look at the theme here of revelation and salvation. We are born blind to the glory of God. But 2 Corinthians 4, here's what God has done. He has shown in our hearts, what? Light. It's a revelation. To give the light of what? Knowledge. So there's an understanding that comes. But what is it? Glory. It's not just a head knowledge. It's a knowledge of glory. Right? That's affection language. That's, oh, something's glorious here. Right? Like when you go to the Grand Canyon or you see an incredible touchdown or, you know, me. No. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's what the scriptures say. You know? Believe God. Do you believe God? You have little faith. (laughs) Glenn says I'm just fearfully made. 
That's his confession. It's more about him. But we are saved by seeing glory, and not just general glory, the glory of God in the face of Christ, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. So have you seen him? Is he glorious? I wrestle, I've talked with parents who have, you know, older children who have gone wayward, right? They don't worship Jesus, and at least at this point, and they wrestle with that. And a lot of times they wrestle with what they did to do that. Because sometimes the kids will do that. They'll be like, well, if you didn't this and you didn't that, then maybe we would love Jesus. And I just want to encourage you that it's not, you can't do anything to make Jesus compelling to them. They may have left the church because of you. They may have stopped, you know, obeying some rules because of something you did. Sure. But the question is, is Jesus compelling? It has nothing to do with your parents and your friends. It's this. Here's the face of God, right? Here he is, bleeding for you, dying for you, wise, loving, patient. I mean, we sing these songs this song called, uh, Oh, the Wonderful Cross, right? So here he is. Here's the vision of God. Is this compelling? Is this the God you want to worship? See. See him. See what? From his head, from his hands and his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. This is your God. This is the God that doesn't shoo you off his lap three minutes after his comfort has run out, but nail, is nailed to a cross This is compassion, love unto death, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Is that compelling to you? Who else is offering that? Listen to world leaders. Listen to other preachers. Listen to other godly or religious figures, right? What is Allah bringing to you? You know what? He asks that you die. And he's distant, gone. But God enters and comes and he's near you. Did ever such love and sorrow meet? This line. Or thorns compose so rich a crown. I do not want to worship a God whose crown doesn't have thorns. That's the revelation. It's stunning. That's not how we are. That's not the kind of crown I want. But it's the kind of crown my God has. It's the kind of crown I need. You know why? Because it means he's merciful. It means his power is in my service. It means he forgives. It means he's countercultural. It means he's upside down. He's compelling. He's compelling. That's who we seek. This is the person. So Isaiah says to you, those who worship Jesus, and if you're discouraged because this is their context, right? They're coming out of... Um, exile, and they're discouraged, and where is God, and has he forsaken us? And listen, whatever year it is, it's every year is tough. It's always a rough year. Maybe it's been a good run in America or in your family, but just, just look around globally. Read history. Every year is tough. History is a conveyor belt of death. There's wars and famine. You know, Jesus talks about the last days, and he talks about the signs, and every year someone's like, well, I think these are the last days. It's like, yeah. They all are. So are you discouraged? Do you feel beat down? Do you feel confused? All kinds of stuff can cause that, right? And here's what he says to you. Look to the rock from which you were hewn. He's calling you to remember. Right? Because in the moment, you can doubt his faithfulness. But he goes, remember who I've been in your life and look back. Specifically to them, he says, the rock from which you were hewn, the quarry from which you were dug. 
Look to Abraham, your father, and Sarah, who bore you. Basically this, you were born from a miracle. Sarah was barren. I called Abraham and Sarah, and I healed her barren womb and birthed the nation of Israel. Like, you were born in a barren landscape. Like, the presence of barrenness does not mean the Lord has left us. It means it's an opportunity for him to work. Like, we, we buy into prosperity gospel. We do. We think, well, um, you know, as long as things are going well, then God can work, right? Like, one example of this is America is becoming less and less Christianized, right? But we think, oh, no, then people won't be open to Christ. But it's like, it's like thinking that they have to be Christians before they become Christians. Like, that's the whole point. Oh, no, Sarah's barren. Perfect. Perfect. God picked a barren woman on purpose. That's why he picked her. It's not like he picked her, and then she was like, oh, I have something to tell you. Fertility tests haven't been going well. And he's like, oh, I guess I better invent miracles. That's why he picked her. And Abraham was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. So... And there's the proof, one from one man, Abraham, hundreds of thousands of people. And now, to this day, hundreds of millions of Christians. God is in the work of multiplying and blessing. And even when it's hard to see. And this is why we have to remember, we recall the scriptures, we recall the stories. We recall our stories, my own story. I mean, do you recall the rock from which you were hewn? And I was on the phone last week with uh, an old friend of mine, reconnected on Facebook, and called him. And I won't name names, but nothing has changed. Again, this is a fake name, but he's literally telling me about, these are two of my old friends, about how Bill, was not Bill, but how Bill was hanging out there last night, and the night went long, and he thinks Bill stole his wallet. He's like a 50-year-old man. That's what I was saved from. It's the rock from which I was hewn. And you have too. Your story is different than mine, but if you're in Christ, you were hewn from a quarry, barrenness, and made alive and raised high above your station. Oh, if you could, sometimes I wish we could take a time travel field trip and I'll show you what me and my friends used to do. And oh, just foolishness, utter foolishness. And then to be given this privilege to preach for my pleasure and some of yours. <laughs> and you know what changed the trajectory? Tragedy. That's what changed the trajectory in my life. I'll tell you the story later if you want, but it was, a, it was a car sent by God. It's time. Your life is on course like this, and I'm coming. I'm coming for you. And it's not a walk in the park, but it's a pleasure. Verse 3, for the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts her waste places. There are waste places, right? It's just very honest. There are waste places. There are. In hearts, families society 
But what does God do? He's in the business of miracles. He makes her wilderness like Eden. He makes the desert like the garden of the Lord. He's in the miracle business. This is what we're hoping for. And the result? Praise, joy, and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving in the voice of song. Guys, we're not scratching the surface. Listen to this. This is what God is doing. He's working. He's saving, revealing, putting his spirit within us. And the result is joy and praise. Listen to the words of Jesus. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you. This is the joy of God. I mean, we need to sit there. This is infinite, infinite, unblemished. There's a lot of things that, in ways in which our joy falls short. It's, it's fleeting and it's polluted with sin. But God's is pure, infinite, ferocious joy. That's the joy of Christ, the joy that the Father and the Son have. And Jesus is saying, this is what I'm doing. I'm putting this in you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Is that your life? Oh, man, we're getting shadows. We're getting shadows. It's the more you get an understanding of what God is offering, like we don't just need another class, a Sunday school to get it together. We need rescued. God, I need a new body. The whole world needs burnt and remade. Like, how could this body hold your joy? Answer, it can't. So I'm going to give you doses in doses, but when the king comes, new bodies that can contain that kind of joy. Sounds like a fairy tale. That's all I got. Sounds nice then, right? So then why such an arduous life? Why such a hard, tiring life? Well, because to take the desert to the garden takes tilling. It takes tilling. Change hurts. C.S. Lewis again. We are a divine work of art. Remember? We are a divine work of art. Something that God is making, and therefore something with which he will not be satisfied until it has a certain character. He's working on us. Over a sketch made idly to amuse a child, so if, if this artist was just making a simple sketch for a child, he may not take much trouble. He may be content to let it go, even though it's not exactly as he meant it to be. But over the great picture of his life, that is you. I mean, I want, to, I, want, I want you to blush. Like we've been trained, look, it's all about God. It is all about God. What an amazing God that he would set his mercies on us and make us the great picture of his life. You are the great picture of God's life. This is his life's work, the church. It is not a simple sketch. Over the great picture of his life, the work which he loves... He will take endless trouble and would thereby give endless trouble to the picture if it were sentient, alive. One can imagine a sentient picture, right? A picture that is alive and can feel its maker working on it, right? One can imagine 
a sentient picture after being rubbed and scraped and recommenced for the tenth time, wishing it was only a thumbnail sketch. And it was whose making was over in a minute. In the same way, it is natural for us to wish that God had designed us for a less glorious and less arduous destiny. But then we are wishing not for more love, but for less. So it's complicated. Don't you, isn't that what we want? See, this, this is why Jesus is compelling. Only he makes sense out of this complicated life. Joy and sorrow mingling. Oh, it's a crown, but it has thorns. That kind of God makes sense of my experience. It's not a walk in the park, but it's not without hope. It's arduous, but it's glorious. Only Jesus explains this. Verse 4. Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation. For a law will go out for me. I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near. My salvation has gone out. My arms will judge the peoples. He's talking about Jesus. That's what he's sending out. He's not going to send out another book. He's already written the law, right? But he's, sending, he's saying, I'm coming. My righteousness, Christ. My salvation, Christ. My law, Christ. Christ is coming near. I'm sending the person. I'm sending the one that you're made to worship. And listen to this. The coastlands hope for me. The nations are wanting God. They may not know it, but the proof is war. They're not satisfied. They're not joyful. And so they war. But in that war, as evil as it is, there's a proof of unsatisfaction and a longing for something. Why is there endless, endless, endless cycles of war throughout history? Because we can't settle it here. We're not going to have peace on earth until there's a new earth. They're longing for God. Literally yesterday, I'm, I'm reading this, studying, taking notes. I get to verse 6. I just read it. I'm going to read it to you here in a second. I just read verse 6, and this guy is a Hindu. He's an Indian. I don't know if he's Hindu. This Indian young man walks by, and he says, what is that, a dictionary? I say, it's a Bible. He says, oh, what are you doing with it? I said, I'm, I'm a preacher, studying because I'm going to preach. He goes, oh, what do you make of everything that's going on? What do you make of everything that's going on? I was like, oh, I'm going to have to get it with him. But here's what I said. I said, read this. Verse 6, lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath, for the heavens vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment, and they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. That's God talking. Everything will fail. Everything. What do you make of everything that's going on? What did he mean? He meant current events. Do I need to make the list? Yeah, look, the heavens vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. We cannot hope here, right? We cannot hope here. Then where is our hope in God who will not be dismayed? My salvation, God's salvation will be forever. My righteousness will never be dismayed. This is invincible 
joy, invincible joy in God because he will not be dismayed. I feel dismayed sometimes, right? I lost my place here. I don't know what the heck I'm saying. Uh, I have all this stuff in here about politics. It always seems right on Saturday because I want to teach about it, but then on Sunday I'm just like, eh, just be nice. Just be nice. How about that? God is not dismayed. We sing that song, uh, oh, I forget what it's called, but the lyrics in the bridge are, when the night is holding on to me, God is holding on. It's, it's a summary of verse 6 here. Right? Lift your eyes to the heavens and look to the earth beneath. The heavens vanish like smoke. Earth will wear out like a garment, and they who dwell in it will die in like manner. There's night. There's threat of loss. Right? It's dark, man. When that's life, what's my hope? God will not be dismayed. God is holding on. That's the gospel in a, in a summary. And as we were singing that this morning during you know, rehearsal, I've always read that as like putting in spite in front of that first lyric. In spite of the fact that the night is holding on to me, God is holding on. But I felt like I saw that they're the same thing. Right? This is our vision of God. This is why our joy is invincible. Because the night is not a surprise to God. He darkens the skies. He unsettles the nations. I don't know what he's doing here in the West, but I know it's good. And I know it's for our pleasure. I know it's for our joy. I cannot interpret all the minutia, but I have seen the big picture. That God runs the universe. He totters the kingdoms. He brings pestilence. He brings trouble. Why? Because it is him rubbing and scraping that painting, which is you, his great life's work. When the night is holding on to you, God is holding on. It's God forming you, forming me. These are impossible things to live in without his spirit, without his encouragement. But it is the truth. I have other stuff in here, but I feel done. Okay, so I'm going to be done. Um, we're going to enter a time of response. Respond enjoy. Now, I do want to read one little thing here. Mm. Basically, Paul talking about, in 2 Corinthians 3, he's talking about how we're not under the Old Testament law, but we are in Christ, right? We have fellowship with the Spirit and that we have glory coming. And then he says this in verse 12, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. So there's my application. Since we have such a hope, an invincible joy, then be very bold. What does that mean? It means sing boldly. It means give generously. It means preach the gospel to your neighbors. I used to think people, here, listen to this. Though the reason we don't share the gospel sometimes is because we're afraid of being rejected and making people mad. But what I have learned this year is that nobody's afraid of making people mad. Just do it for Jesus. 
Will you stop making each other mad over politics? Like, just stop it. Make people mad over Jesus. Or, better yet, make them jealous. Why? Because he has given you joy. And you're going to sing boldly and proclaim boldly and give boldly and go to the nations and die and sacrifice boldly. Therefore, because we have this in us, we are very bold. Bold people, right? Not angry, not mean, but bold, assured, joyful, immovable. We are bold in Christ. So let me leave you with that. Let me go ahead and invite the band up. We will sing, Lord willing, boldly. We will take communion if you have a, hopefully you got a communion cup on the way in. If you didn't get one, they're available by the entrance. And uh, um, yeah, this is a time to remember, right? Remember from where you were hewn. This is the place at the cross is, is where the final work that purchased you, right? Where Jesus broke his body and poured out his blood on your behalf, Right? And through that power, rescued you, hewed you from the quarry, made you a new creation. We come here to remember. So on your own or with, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, we ask that you do not partake in this. If you have questions about what it means to be a Christian, I would love to discuss that with you. Also, if you believe God has given you a message of encouragement for the church, um, I ask that you submit that to Glenn here or in Cedar Falls to the campus pastor. Or you can feel free to text one in if you're online. Um, but we believe he speaks not just through the preacher, but through the whole body, right? So <laughs> we're all preachers. Last week we had a guest speaker up here early on in the service, if you were here, and uh, my daughter says, uh, is, is he preaching? I was like, you tell me. I'm always very unhelpful. Um, and she goes, no, I mean, is he going to speak for a long time? That's what preaching is. Oh, gosh. Um, why did I bring that up? Oh, we're all preachers, right? So go. I don't know where I was. Oh, sharing word that God gives you with the church. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're going to sing. Let me just finish uh, with verse. I didn't preach this, but verse 7 and 8, an encouragement to you as you enter worship. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. So let me pray. God, thank you for your promises, and uh, you are unlike us. So draw us near into your presence by the power of your Spirit. Amen.